Namaste. So as we have seen yesterday, the uh, most important thing to be grasped is Vidyamai and Avidyamai, the two forms of uh, Maya. Vidyamai Maya is the Maya of the Lord, the formative power of the Divine Himself and it is not a force of ignorance but a force of knowledge and all comprehending knowledge which does create many but there is no loss of knowledge, no fall as it is called in some of the stories, the fall of man. Basically it is because of uh, in its original status the soul of man is uh, even as the gods. But it it has taken upon itself a labor which even to the God seems impossible. So we are on that kind of mission, rescue mission, rescuing consciousness uh, which has gone into inconscient and you know become this material nature. So it is a burden as Shubhinda says in Savitri, even impossible to the gods. That's why the human soul is such a favorite of the divine. Despite all the problems, issues and difficulties, precisely because it has taken upon itself all these things. And this fall is also typified in the story of Bible, Adam and Eve, where you know one falls from that original high status and then comes down. Now, in this process of recovery, when man returns back, he doesn't return back to the same status from he, where he fell, but something much more. There is a whole enrichment of his own uh, being as well as the being of the earth. So that that is the recompense for the fall. So this is what we had spoken yesterday about the Vidyamaya and the Vidyamaya Maya. But Avidyamaya Maya, the same force of knowledge, becomes a force of ignorance. And here ignorance is not the opposite of knowledge, just like death is not the opposite of life but a process of life. So similarly, ignorance is not the absence of knowledge. Absence of knowledge will be nescience or inconscience. Ignorance is partial knowledge, meaning thereby when the all knowledge, the Vidyamaya, concentrates only on one point to the extent of forgetting everything else, then it becomes a force of ignorance. It could be any point. So we can take this example that when we are very much absorbed in a work, it could be a very mechanical work, let's for example. So when it's a mechanical work, we have forgotten everything else. Don't we experience that we forget calling the mother? We may forget even who we are at that point of time. So this is the this is ignorance. That doesn't mean what we are doing is ignorant. But we are only focused on, it's an exclusive, selective concentration to the extent of forgetting all else. So that's what ignorance is. Its extreme result is inconscience. Because you go into that, you can completely lapse into uh, inconscience. Similarly, when we are carried away on the waves of an activity of life, at all three levels, this ignorance operates. So at the level of matter, the example would be mechanical uh, action in which we may completely forget ourselves. Similarly, we are going on a wave of life and uh, riding on its crest and troughs and highs and despair and we completely forget all the rest. So this is the result of this ignorance. It's identified with a whole and therefore it cannot dislodge itself. Similarly in the mind we may concentrate on one opinion, one uh, way of, you know, one mode of thinking and we forget all the rest, cut off from all the rest. So this is avidya or ignorance. And it is because of this ignorance we have the sense of a completely separate individuality. So the soul which is enveloped with ignorance as it is called, 
which is avidyamayi maya we should not use the word maya but avidyamayi maya uh, ignorance it forgets that it is part of the universal self not only it all the parts as we said see are parts of a universal uh, creation but the soul forgets and therefore all the resilient tussle start but this was also needed it has its own purpose which we will see as we go by by and by so we have this um, chapter on the divine soul the what is the condition of the soul before the fall which it where it, it has the full knowledge of the all and each of us carries the all within and all carries each one within see this is how a commune works is meant to work if you look at very closely a spiritual commune is the ideal of human society we may not use the word spiritual we use the word commune but commune which is based on this vision and knowledge of the one self in all and all in the one self when we have this vision we have the true commune it shadow the dark shadow is communism as we understand it's a commune based on biology which is just its shadow the asura tries to create the all are equal all are same so this is how the divine soul lives in that state of spiritual commune so when we have mother's creation here it is a spiritual commune and it's based on that here each one has to uh, live as if all others are part of him and so on but instead very often we end up creating division between departments and even within department that is the action of avidya so we must understand where is avidya operating and where we are tending towards vidya then we have mind and supermind so what we call as mind mind has come from the supermind but what we call as mind is where it has lost it is the avidya mai maya's action so it has lost completely its totality and it isolates picks up one strands so mind is a becomes a force of division not mind in its originality but mind which is fallen here that's why in savitri we have dumat sena mind which falls here and becomes blind in its origin it is divine mind you know divine mind in indian mythology we have indra sahasraksh which is global so the recovery of the mind is when we begin to see is different standpoints and we begin to eventually enter into a larger global consciousness which is what eventually mankind will uh, arrive at but right now when the mind become very small narrow and its extreme action is dogmas and you know uh, extreme forms of sectarianism all the, all these are part of the very narrow action of the mind so mind can divide mind can multiply mind can add mind can subtract but it cannot arrive at wholeness but all the time it wants to arrive at wholeness why because there is the super mind behind there is the vidyamayi maya always pushing it so it labors it wants to know this having known this it wants to know something else it wants to know the you know life of planet after the planet solar system then the stars because it wants to know everything it goes up it goes down into the ocean it wants to find the whole but it tries to form it by reconstructing parts but it misses because the whole is uh, not only always greater than the parts it's something uh, you can construct a whole scenery and yet you will miss something very essential fundamental it is what really that scenery scenery represents what the scenery is in relation to everything else so always when it builds up it finds there is a yet greater whole when it builds up that it finds a yet greater whole and it cannot connect them together so for example in any branch of knowledge supposing we study physics so in physics uh, we study that you know ultimate uh, smallest blocks are atoms and of course we can go into quantum physics but let's say atoms 
When we study biology, smallest building block is cell. What is the relation between atoms and cells? So now medicine is trying to approach it molecular medicine, molecular biology. So how can this be altered? How can is is does it have something to do with the way the atoms move? How do atoms um, figure out a biology? What is the the relation between the two? Now the mind cannot conceive it because mind doesn't know the whole. But in the supramental consciousness, this knowledge of this totality is inherent and inbuilt. Whereas, uh, and then this is about the mind. We have already spoken about it at length. Um, the mind starts recovering its original status by drawing from this inferior motion and going towards the state of oneness, towards higher and higher ranges of consciousness, where there is oneness becomes more and more implicit, and ultimately it recovers itself fully. Only if we can, it can make an ascension to the super mind. Then, what is life? Just as super mind. That knowledge aspect has become mind. So, what is life? So, we have satchidananda. So, super mind becomes mind. Life too must find its origin in some principle which is already existing in the higher um, in satchidananda. So, that principle is consciousness force, chittapas. Same thing happens. The supramental life is very intense, very vibrant. It's you know, it's amazing. It's like a Harp of many strings, and there is no discordant node in supramental life. It's like everybody knows at what point of you know, at what point what uh, note has to be brought out, and this note is in perfect harmony with everybody else. So it's a wonderful life, unfallen. But when it falls and it has to build itself on the basis of matter, it is bound to be different. Uh, in certain ways more richer, but in certain ways more challenging. This was asked to mother. Uh, to Shirobindo, that I believe the mother can easily uh, create the supramental life here just in a moment, but uh, that will not be the same as a life which evolves out of matter. Uh, so, Shirobindo's one line reply is that's a very important distinction. It was very easy for them, they could enter the supermind, experience that life to bring it down and just superimpose. Which means no humanity. There is supramental creation. That's it. It's not on the basis of matter. But supramental beings like aliens, <laughs> we'll regard them, come here and set everything right. And man remains what he is. There will be such a big gap. So evolutionary process starts building bridges so that those bridges are being built. And it is destined to reach there. But life as it is, because again, of, because of the action of the Abhidya Maimaya, enters into the form and forgets itself. So then it identifies itself only with the form. And therefore when somebody's uh, lungs, breathing stops, so we say uh, he is gone. But if we see from the larger perspective, life is energy which is constantly circulating in this universe. It's very characteristic to push like matter comes later in this, but matter stabilizes, fixes things. Life wants to expand its nature, its energy. It can't remain confined to one particular space. It has, so what it does is it starts pressing from within for form, jaratattva, matter, to develop ways and means so that it can move. So it moves. Movement is characteristic of life. Just as inertia is characteristic of matter. And ascension 
or seeking for higher things is characteristic of mind. So life begins to move matter. When it is involved in matter, it forgets. Then it becomes an extremely egoistic life because it's completely forgotten. It's only focused on preservation of the form. But if we just step back and see, then we'll see there is no death actually. Life is passing from one form to another. It, that's all it is doing. It is uh, for life itself. There is no death. Life itself is immortal. It's just that it inhabits a form, and even when it withdraws from the form, it it is not that there is death actually. All the time, life is feeding from the universe all around, and it is creating matter because that's how you know we need energy. If you don't eat, what happens? So. Uh, people often keep fast and they believe that oh is something wonderful yes but what happens to the life energy it feeds on your own body so life will find food and it will eat and absorb and it will supply also it forms matter also that's why you need food so what happens to this food food doesn't go directly all the parotta and sabji doesn't directly go into cells and create cells no it has to be changed into energy look at the process it changes into energy ATP, adenosine triphosphate, it changes into uh, forms of energy carried by small packets. When you breathe in oxygen again, that you know changes into small little packets which will carry this energy. This energy goes and it builds form. So life builds form. The day we understand this secret, how life builds form, science would have taken a leap. But this secret has been withheld from man. But at the same time, this life feeds also on the form. So that is what is called as the Agni inside, you know, when you are very hungry. So what happens is, it starts eating upon your own body and if you go starving, life will find its food, it will find the food within. So at the level of matter this applies, but it applies at every level. So it devours and is devoured. That is why in the Upanishad the phrase is, hunger that is death. The eater eating himself is eaten. Why? Because that's the way life life is an all. It doesn't confine itself to a form. But because forms are important, therefore it is allowed. Leave it. Okay, you act within your limits. But because all the time there is the impact of currents from all around. So at some point, it takes the form of a struggle. My life, your life, this life, that life. Because in the most primitive state of life, poise of life, it only knows this to preserve the form and to assert the form by a sense of struggle. This is what Darwin speaks about when he speaks about struggle for evolution. But as life develops, it discovers a new principle. It discovered that, well, I am not confined to form. There is a larger flow of current. This is the desired self. It seeks and it gives. It wants and it gives. So it discovers the vaguest principle of love. When life is completely entrenched in matter, then it doesn't know love. Hard-hearted. That's why it's called stone-hearted or cold-hearted. Why? Because it's me, myself. That's the only thing it knows. Nothing else. The word love doesn't figure out in a dictionary. But as it evolves, then it says, Ki, okay, if I take and give consciously, it's a much better thing. So we see that as humanity involves out of the tribal state, when there is constantly this war and jarring notes, there is this tendency towards association, mutual interchange, desire, 
etc. Where there is give and take. Here also there are two stages, as Shubhendra says. First stage is take, take, take. Next stage is take so much, give a little. <laughs> and then <laughs> he describes in the life divine. These are the stages. Mother says it in uh, rungs of love. The first stage of love is when one loves only oneself. She puts it in a very nice way. So first stage is I love only myself. And whatever flatters me, maybe I'll keep that with me. The next stage is I'll give love provided you give me love. Now in the first stage, this much quota I want, then maybe a little bit I'll release. The next stage is when I give love and take much less, then there is giving for the joy of giving. And then it is giving but wanting acknowledgement. This uh, before the joy of giving. Giving but wanting acknowledgement. At least boloto, you know. At least say once in a while thank you. Put a little smiley and put that namaste or something. Thank you. You're so kind, so loving. Then it frees from that also. It gives for the joy of giving. So this is how life evolves. And this is as the psychic being within us grows. We see this evolution of life. And even then, when it discovers all this law of interchange and love, it still knows that it is still imperfect because there is not yet the oneness. So, ultimately, it begins to seek for something higher. There it needs the assistance of mind. And life and mind together then hold hands and start moving towards the supramental life. But before that, what happens? All the three are at war with each other. When life is completely involved in form, identified with form it is at the mercy of form so there are people who are so lifeless so lack of energy all the time only if they feed on something they will feel a little alive because it's completely at the mercy of form and at the next level we see that it begins to supply to the form so there is a balance between the form and the life energy as the mother says there are four sources of life energy through which you can draw this life energy within one is from the form from the um, material world if you see even the vegetable you eat vegetable contains minerals and matter it is dhul matti but in nice tasty way and animal life contains dhul matti and the nice tasty thing but all the aggression of the animal fear of the animal so it becomes a more complex thing to absorb so it draws from below from this inconscient second stage is when it draws from around you see people who are developed a little bit they go to a garden and say ah now I feel fresh nothing else sometimes they just take a deep breath and they feel very nice or sometimes they just meet someone who tells them something very nice and they are all full of energy because they receive it from the environment directly and then third stage is spiritual energy so the day one feels that Reading Savitri gives one all the energy. <laughs> Reading the light divine fills you with energy. Then there is a plugging in of this higher mode. So these are the modes from which life draws energy. It is the feeder. It, it carries messages as energy currents from one form to another. You see, um, how do we uh, get to know, you know, even before people have met, have you noticed a very subtle force, laws of attraction, all this begins to operate? Laws of repulsion. Why this happens? And when people actually fall in love, they can actually experience the energies from the heart, going nearer, clasping, meeting, mixing. 
WhatsApp has spoilt everything actually. The joy, you know, Megadutam writing a whole letter. The joy, the life force is liberated and it is reaching through the clouds. Reaching out to the beloved. Now you know that joy is gone. Now you have WhatsApp. And you know that's... But anyway, there's another way it gets liberated. It's a pentaphorce, it gets liberated and starts seeking. It acts without hands and feet, like the mind, incidentally. These are just instruments, yet it wants a mixing of forms for the sake of completion. And then it also feeds the mind. Mind without life is a listless agency. So life is the current, it carries the current from the form to the mind and mind returns the current. So you see, what is life doing? It is um, entering into a state of interchange with all the world around it. And one reason why we fall sick and then we have this um, eventually death etc. See, when it's drawing from the form, it's entered into the form to assert this life in the form. But this life in the form is impacted by all other lives in the forms. Because it's one life. They are wanting to come together. You just can't help it. And the more you try to shrink inside, the more one is impacted by the life around. If the form is very strong, it can, I mean by strong I don't mean it packs. But if it is really constituted, hereditarily really strong, it bears the impact. But at a point of time, it is bound to, you know, give in. Because it's not allowed by the nature of things. So there is, because all life wants to survive. Same thing is happening in a virus as in a man and the life is the same. Life doesn't make a distinction. So if you start destroying life around you indiscriminately, it backlashes. That is the law. You just can't help it. So because of this backlash, it, ha- it will find ways and means of backlashing. There will be a disintegration of form because now that life has to also find its way. The second reason is when it is not able to supply the energy that is needed, it becomes deficient because either, you know, it's not able to draw from here or there, it's not able to develop a harmony between life here and the life around. Again, there is a problem of disintegration. So if there is a disharmony between life here and life that is all around, it creates a state of disharmony. Then if it is at war with the mind, in the initial stages when mind begins to evolve, mind is at the mercy of life. Whatever the life wants, the mind does. Just as in the beginning, life is at the mercy of the body. But in the next step, life imposes itself upon the body and very often because it doesn't have the light in a very horrible way. So you see, have you noticed that when you feel like, oh, let's go party, let's have a you know late night uh, dinner. What is happening? The poor body, now this force of life is asserting itself on the body. And the body has no choice because now life has become free. It has become the master. It was once the slave. It has become the master. And then there are excesses leading to disintegration again. Similarly, when mind begins to evolve, it is at the mercy of life initially. It just follows whatever, you know, that's how cunning thieves, the life wants to appropriate, it has desire, it wants to have something. So the mind is at the mercy of this life. It flows with it. And then you have cunning people who do all kinds of tricks to deceive and have what they desire. But when the mind gets liberated, it rides on life. 
and it says no this you will you are allowed to do this you are not allowed to do now what is happening now all these three members are in some way sometime they have a party together sometime they are at war mind puts certain restrictions on life life says okay i'll wait for my turn when the mind is a little asleep as in sleep or in distraction or when there is overwhelming pressure of life around then the mental barriers are broken so this is how this typical balance difficult balance continues and it's impossible to keep that kind of balance all the time and it's not nature's until we live in vidya it is not uh, right also because all life must blossom so it destroys any form of life which goes beyond when it becomes a threat to others it will collapse and be destroyed the dinosaurs uh, mastodon sloth the old ravana's empire uh, hiranyakashipu's empire atlantis all these are evidences that life tends to collapse so we have this death desire and incapacity incapacity comes again because it has entered into form and it's completely lost itself but it craves for something more so we have the death desire and incapacity and the essence of life is basically we have already spoken about it from complete identification with the form See, there are people who only identify with bodily life, and they cannot identify with any other existence. For them, life is about eat, have children. You know, even bodily life wants to because it knows it is immortal and universal. So, how does it prolong itself? It is through the next generation. That's why you have big photographs. Yeah, our Tao Ji ke Dada Ji ke Par Dada the whatever. If you have those photographs, please put a monkey at the top because you know. That's your ultimate. That was my great, great, great grandfather. But in India, we don't do that. We say no. We have come from Vishnu, so we have. <laughs> Literally, there is the descent of man. But because of this reason, it feels incapacitated and struggles. It pushes matter. But well, so this is the reason why there is death, desire, incapacity. But even if. even if you can find a perfect balance if you live in a perfect environment supposing science develops a ways and means of a life which is perfectly adapted to the world around that's what science is trying and because they have not read the story of harinikashup so it is trying to master all the outer conditions which can create a kind of balance in life where you just can't die easily so this is what harinikashup had tried no Uh, na bahar na idhar outside nor inside nor morning nor night all conditions shastra astra everything brahma ji said okay anyways in your death will come your way so what happens when we do that still death will come why it will come because life there is a line from shrivindas poem who oh, life mystic miracle of delight you are your hunger is for the infinite just like mind has come from infinite consciousness behind life also there is infinite consciousness it is consciousness that has become life chit tapas the force of life the energy of life so, so it desires for the infinite seeks the infinite how do you have infinite experience in a finite body at most you will be stuck people who say you know that uh, oh they don't want death tell them okay you will live forever in a certain mohalla with the same person with whom you have tied the knot 
and just imagine how miserable that life is going to become over a period of time so it has you need that it needs different experiences and perhaps that is the reason why today this through tv and all people are getting exposed to a wide range of life without actually going there so all this virtual reality these are ways by which mind is um, helping life to experience things which are otherwise not within its realm of experience so because life wants to experience infinity on a finite basis therefore the soul must leave and take it to different 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 forms and that's how it can experience infinity so this is the reason why we have ultimately death and then of course the problem of life is same because of the avidya we've already spoken of it and then there is this wonderful chapter the double soul of man so everywhere we'll see that in all principles there is um, an outer uh, ephemeral ego based working and behind there is a larger working because the whole current comes like this and enters into the form at some point so uh, we have in the mind an outer action of the mind which is totally dependent on the senses most people in their early stages uh, are purely dependent on this sense mind based on what they see hear they infer they deduce they arrive at conclusions like that but there is a inner action of the mind behind the mind there is a subliminal mind and this subliminal mind draws itself from the super mind so that is the uh, reason this subliminal mind tends to spread into the universe and above in the subliminal mind thought currents can enter and a kind of a direct intuitive knowledge can awaken in us so this is the subliminal mind standing behind the mind behind life there is an outer movement of life which is acting on the surface you see something and you want to grasp it you want to take it you want to hold it but there is a deeper inner life and this is very incapacitating it can be very uh, you know when you can't do something it, it can be very frustrating but there is a life behind the life a more subliminal life it can experience life in others in bird and beast and even in stone it's a more luminous force and this life once we enter into this life behind the life it has an access to the consciousness force when people step back from form or they awaken to it they can experience life in a flower on the road why because life is one so this life comes in contact with the life there and knows it is one life it is same it is me in another form it doesn't use this language feels reaches out to it and understands like a thought current and it can extend into the whole universe it there are no limits to it because it's vast and then of course we have body there is an outer body which we think is the gross body but because of the extreme action of avidya but behind this body there is a true body that that these are the sheets the annamaya kosh the pranamaya and the manomaya kosh this true body is the subtle matter this subtle matter is the original blueprint of the body so what happens is that when the gross body falls ill this subtle physical which is behind this it automatically sends signals what is to be done to heal it it automatically tells you this is not you know when you put a thumb imprint over the phone 
or you know you have doors which open based on your uh, palm or face recognition it doesn't recognize so it keeps saying try again try again try again so because this subtle physical is there it keeps on sending signal to the gross body that no repair it here no no this is not correct this it tries its utmost but at a point of time the soul may say chodo yaar this is too much it's extremely gone damaged beyond repair it's okay i'll purchase i'll get another body so it leaves the body and enters into another body but oh, it tries this life uh, this ma- behind matter this subtle physical how matter has come into existence that we will see later so principle of super mind becomes mind ignorant mind here because of the action of avidya principle of chit tapas consciousness force becomes this life here which we experience as straining striving stumbling struggling but in its original principle it is self possessed of itself in the original supramental life you don't have to strive or struggle what you need or what is sought will automatically be there mother describes this in uh, supramental creation she says uh, i don't know what will happen to the cloth stores that you won't need whatever you need you will automatically create a cloth when you need to go somewhere you automatically go there you don't need artificial means because supramental life accomplishes it it matter completely receptive when matter becomes completely receptive to it it automatically obeys the impulsion so this is the highest possibility of life where does the soul come from from what principle of sachidananda it comes from ananda the bliss self so here also we see a double movement that's what shubindu describes in the double soul of man that there is an outer movement so ananda becomes outside pleasure pain joy just as life becomes ambition desire struggle so there is an outer joy outer emotion which is a caricature a deformation of the true love and joy of the soul the soul's love and joy are self existent they don't depend on anything outward but outer soul or the desired soul shubindo used this is unique terminology of shubindo um some places use the word psychic prana in synthesis he uses the word the surface soul of man for this he must cast from him his surface soul in savitri we have that line when savitri is facing the challenge of fate and death he says an hour comes when she must cast from her her surface soul what is the surface soul it's all the time oh i wish i love satyavan so much i wish you know he could survive surface soul emotions surface soul which is full of this movement of desire intensely moving around but what is desire wanting some joy how nice if we could be together what a joy there will be that is the surface soul but shubindu says and be the ungarbed entity within so what is the ungarbed entity when you remove this surface soul you discover oh all the time i was carrying this inside that's what we see that Uh, mystics will put it like this what you are carrying outside uh, searching outside you will find it within you so this outer movement is the outer psychic uh, uh, the desired soul in man he is used the word desired soul the reason he has used the word soul is because it is mistaken for the soul 
very often people who are moved by these emotions they say it's me myself and i am just following that because it gives the sense of a self a subjective self but the true self is always within us so this is the these are the chapters and i'll just read a few passages from here and there mind may divide multiply add subtract but it cannot get beyond the limits of this mathematics so after you have done all the mathematics you still don't understand the whole there is a very uh, humorous passage in savitri humorous in the sense the divine humor irony he says by knowing too much they miss the one thing to be known the diameter and circumference of infinity was drawn there is lot of they could calculate all the Uh, you know when the universe was born you will see people talk about you know so many each man mantra is so many thousand years and then so many thousands and they take it all as gospel truth huh? whatever is written in some purana even though in indian literature puranas are not the highest authority but they take it like that oh in this purana so how can this is we are still in the first phase of kaliyug so how can satyug be there new satyug supramental age so to all such people the only thing to be said is god may behave like a mathematician but you know you can't fix him to his own plans he has changed his plan that is the only language you understand <laughs> if you argue on this mathematics so there is a whole side of knowledge we understand god only mathematically that's the mind you see in the greater mind pure mathematics algebra psychoanalysis of the self and yet it doesn't know because that whole cannot be reconstructed by these means so here he is revealing us to that if it goes beyond and tries to conceive a real whole it loses itself in a foreign element it falls from its own form ground into the ocean of the intangible into the abysms of the infinite where it can neither perceive conceive sense nor deal with its subject for creation and enjoyment if it tries to go beyond mathematics okay there is a hole ha huh? beyond this there is something greater and the mind tries to go after some time it enters into a state of vast impersonality very good it's a kind of release of the mind but it cannot still find that hole because it has to really touch that supramental but there are people who do this and they get that sense of what is called in uh, mother has used the word mental nirvana so the mind enters into a state of quiescence because it has gone beyond this mathematical understanding of life the fundamental error of the mind is then this fall from self knowledge by which the individual soul conceives of its individuality as a separate fact instead of as a form of oneness and makes itself the center of its own universe instead of knowing itself as one concentration of the universal from that original error all its particular ignorances and limitations are contingent results so this is the problem while it doesn't mean we should annul individuality we should say that well this is for me this is valid you follow your own way there is no problem with that there is a line some poet has said those uh, 
काफिले की तलाश में ऐसे ही नोर्दुदेन काफिले की तलाश में क्यों मैं बदलूं मंजिलें उनकी नजर उनकी नजर मेरी नजर मेरी नजर I want to so I want to reach to a goal and I'm looking for friends who can walk with me but friends are going in another direction shall I change my direction the goal he says no they have a right to their own journey i have a right to my journey unki nazar unki nazar meri nazar meri nazar so you know it must understand each standpoint is one standpoint in the universe they are not meant to come with me so this attempt to convert and everybody it's convince all this goes away so this is what it must understand as a first step this is not its highest but at least first step when we study this life now he speaks about life as it manifests itself upon earth with matter as its basis we observe that essentially it is a form of the one cosmic energy a dynamic movement or current of it positive and negative a constant act or play of the force which builds up forms energizes them by a continual stream of stimulation and maintains them by an unceasing process of disintegration and renewal of their substance see mountains don't eat but the moment life awakens if supposing mountains started you know life awakens so mountain you need you need more you need something stimulation the mountain will wonder where i should get food from thankfully they remain where they are but in human beings it stimulates it touches matter and says you need this you need that so there is this sense to eat and in that process life also when you take it life feeds upon that matter and renews it this is the process that continues with life and that's why the highest way is to turn this life upwards towards the divine see every principle turn the mind towards the divine it starts transmuting into its original principle of vidyamayi turn life towards the super life which is the divine it begins to change into a universal life and then from there the divine life turn matter towards its truth which is let it be suspense because it is yet to come next chapters will be that then matter will there is a possibility of it getting transmuted into a divine substance so but the principle is the same death has no reality except as a process of life life needs new forms it says okay enough i want a new car for myself when you want a new car for yourself a new house you don't say ki i am doing anything wrong when life and soul say i want a new body oh my god what a cruel world god is so bad straight away are nayi gaadi de rahe hain naya ghar de rahe hain problem kya hai matlab this he is giving us a new body and a better body invariably there is this evolutionary impulsion better situation circumstances but this thing oh my god what a cruel torturer this is a process of life that's all life doesn't cease with the death of form even there is nothing like death because when the life withdraws from the body when the pulse stops and the breathing stops for a long time life continues within the cells that's why the organ transplant and all that movie uh, heart attack you know because uh, what was it heart attack or some anyways where the heart is being taken through so you know basically because life is still continuing within that and within a certain period of time because it's still living that is the principle of organ donation and that is why one should not rush to cremate or burn
Because life is continuing, it is gathering its energy. What happens when life goes away? Is it dead? No. It becomes food for life around. Leave a body like that. Eventually you will see if you... It's not a worth watch. It's worth watching at one. There should be no jigupsa. You see dead carcasses of animals. What happens to it? You will see the vultures will eat it first. Then after some time you will see that there are other little insects world they will come in. Ants will. Maggots will eat. Then ants will eat. At the end there will be only skeleton left. Skeleton is more or less a dead tissue. There is... Even that will eventually enter into the soil. But a long, long period because it represents inconscience. So you see, there is nothing like a life, uh, end of life. It just keeps changing form. The form of life changes into other feet. That's why in Parsis they do this. That okay, let anyways let life become a food for other lives. That is a principle. Not that that is a good way because... You are not taking into cognizance many other occult factors. But this is the principle. So, death is no reality except as a process of life. Disintegration of substance and renewal of substance, maintenance of form and change of form are the constant process of life. Even in one human life, what we call as a lifespan, the human body changes several times over. So, what is the big deal? Death is only an extreme Death has no reality except as a process of life. Okay, this disintegration is taking place all the time. Death is merely a rapid disintegration, subservient to life's necessity of change and variation of formal experience. Even in the death of the body, there is no cessation of life. Only the material of one form of life is broken up to serve as material for other forms of life. That energy goes all around. When we look at it like this, life is beautiful. There's really no death. Everything is it's one movement. So, it is consciousness force and that death is in, imposed on the individual life both by the conditions of its own existence and by its relations to the all force. For the individual life is a particular play of energy specialized to constitute, maintain, energize and finally to dissolve. When its utility is over, that utility is ultimately to give the needed experience to the soul, which must grow. That's all. And if its utility is over, that's why if you want to really live long, the secret of long life and youthfulness is keep looking forward. I have sometimes advised people in terminal stages of malignancy. Okay, what was it that you wanted to do which uh, you could never do? Music, okay, start doing it. Something, look future words. You see, what is the sign of a child and an old man? Don't go by age. Child is always looking, ah, I'll become like this adult. Old man, they will sit and bore you to death. In our days, there was no light, there was kerosene lamp. Okay, fine. And if you tell them, okay, today, from today, we are disconnecting the fridge, no TV, we'll have current. No, 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 we didn't mean that. <laughs> This tendency to always look backward and oh, kya bachpan ka din tha. We used to climb on trees. Okay, but today you are flying from Delhi to New York. That is also something now. <laughs> I mean, that is its charm. But this tendency to look backward is the sign of old age. Whereas it should, uh, you know, we should look forward towards the future. That is youthful lens. Because life is moving forward. It doesn't go backward. And that's why, and as long as form can sustain this movement, it will keep moving. 
Of course, if the form cannot sustain this forward movement of life, it will disintegrate. Sometimes under the pressure of the forward movement. Somebody like Swami Vivekananda, moving towards the future, but form cannot sustain. That's why in ashram and Mother's Yoga, there is so much emphasis on the form and the unmatter. Because there is a tremendous evolutionary impetus given to life. It's there. You just can't help it. That's why people become youthful initially. But if this future word process, the form cannot support, then there is paradoxically, it says, please, I am not built the way for this uh, intrastellar travel. <laughs> I am built only for <laughs> a small little movement. You see when Shurvindo told mother, you are better prepared for the yoga of transformation than my body. So that's where we understand this secret. Whereas if the form can follow the movement of life, then there will be no death even of the body. All matter according to the Upanishad is food and this is the formula of the material world that the eater eating is himself eaten. So we spoke about it. But apart from these necessities, there is the one fundamental necessity of the nature and object of embodied life itself which is to seek infinite experience on a finite basis. And since the form, the basis by its very organization limits the possibility of experience, this can only be done by dissolving it and seeking new forms. But nowadays, because of this tremendous evolutionary impetus, you will see rapidly changing landscapes in one human life. It can be very disorienting because life is trying to take leaps and bounds. Different types of experience. Then of course, Shubindu, now we come just read this last bit. and It's about the psychic being, the true soul in man and the surface movement. So surface movement we all know. It is that movement where uh, this is me, and there, there is this seeking for love, joy, good, truth. Because that is the characteristic movement of the psychic being. But this surface desired soul feels that if its desire is fulfilled, life will be good. It will be beautiful. If my desire is fulfilled, if I am forever living with my most loved one, ah, wonderful. So that's the surface desired soul. But the true soul doesn't need that process. It doesn't need anything external to it. It is Swanta Sukhaya, Atmarati. It lives in a self-existent joy and love and peace. Then what does it do? It, why should it do anything? It may withdraw into the infinite or it may become a center for radiating this, which is needed upon earth. Then equally, now this is the double soul in man, just a passage I'll read. The principle of divine bliss must be omnipresent in the cosmos, veiled indeed, and um, he speaks of this. Uh, that term is something in us which we sometimes call in a special sense the soul. That is to say the psychic principle which is not the life or the mind, much less the body, but which holds in itself the opening and flowering of the essence of all these to their own peculiar delight of self, to light, to love, to joy and beauty and to a refined purity of being. If these things are missing, refinement, purity, search for beauty. When there is the surface soul, it says beauty of form, which is also okay. But this soul says beauty of form is not enough. 
It should be a total beauty, beauty of thoughts, beauty of feelings, nobility of temperament. It automatically seeks it. So this is what it seeks. It is inbuilt within it. And the delight which comes from that. So also we have two lives, one outer involved in the physical body. It follows that in this surface or desired soul, there is no true soul life. But a psychic deformation and wrong reception of the touch of things. The malady of the world is that the individual cannot find his real soul. And the root cause of this malady is again that he cannot meet in his embrace of things outward the real soul of the world in which he lives. And finally, the true soul secret in us, subliminal, we have said, but the word is misleading. For this presence is not situated below the threshold of waking mind, but rather burns in the temple of the inmost heart, behind the thick screen of an ignorant mind, life and body, not subliminal, but behind the veil. This veiled psychic entity is the flame of the Godhead, always alight within us, inextinguishable even by that dense unconsciousness of any spiritual self within, which obscures our outer nature. It is a flame born out of the divine and luminous inhabitant of the ignorance. This is a marvel of writing, so we can just read it. Grows in it till it is able to turn it towards the knowledge. So as it grows, it starts putting pressure. Again, we see the same hierarchy follows. Psychic is the last principle that comes. So it is described in the Vedas often as a child, offspring. So initially, what happens? Offspring has to follow whatever the dictates of the parents are. But slowly, it starts dictating. It starts turning mind towards knowledge. It starts turning life towards its own higher reaches. Towards true beauty, joy, good. Starts turning even the body towards a greater refinement of taste and tendencies. So, it begins to turn it towards the knowledge. It is the concealed witness and control, the hidden guide. A witness burning in the inner sanctuary. That's how Shubindu describes in the secret knowledge. The demon of Socrates, the inner voice, not the voice of conscience, or we can say the true conscience, because this is not based on a mental. Conscience in the mind is do's and don'ts and moral ideas, and you know, you immediately think of some monastery where you know you have a set of rules, but that's not how it follows. It follows truth and beauty and good. It, you cannot limit it to any mental frame and notions of good and bad. It follows truth and light and beauty and good. That is its native movement. It is that which endures and is imperishable in us from birth to birth. It is, that's why, you know, it naturally turns to Ananda. Who is Anandame? Krishna. It naturally turns to the Divine Mother. It knows para prakriti jiva bhuta that I am born from her. So the psychic being recognizes automatically. Decay or corruption, an indestructible spark of the Divine. Not the unborn self or Atman. That is the uh, universal self. Not the unborn self or Atman. Or we can even use it for the Jivatma which is there as the central being. For the self, even in presiding over the existence of the individual, is aware always of its universality and transcendence. It is yet its deputy in the forms of nature. Yesterday we were talking about, yesterday or day before, about this uh, central being and psyche being. 
So that self, the Jivatma who is above, the bird above, so that is always aware of transcendence and universality. But this one is its deputy, struggling to create that. All the time that is helping it to move towards that. So you see, none of us is left alone. We have a friend up there and we have all the divine to, you know. <laughs> it is yet its deputy in the forms of nature. The individual soul, Chaitya Purusha. Supporting mind, life and body, standing behind the mental, the vital, the subtle physical being in us and watching and profiting by their development and experience. So we have these three purusha, the mental purusha, the pranme purusha, vital purusha and the physical purusha. That is another problem. These purushas, when you become awake to them, they push this material embodiment beyond the limit. Knowledge may burst in the scene but the mind cannot hold it. The life impulse, when you become aware of the vital purusha, it is like Durga and Kali. But the form cannot hold it, the life energy in the form. So that's a different problem and challenge which Shubhendu will describe later. So it's put forwards, uh, it is the, as the psychic person puts forward a psychic personality which changes, grows, develops from life to life. For this is the traveller between birth and death and between death and birth. Our nature parts are only its manifold and changing vesture. The psychic being at, at, can at first exercise only a concealed and partial and indirect action through the mind, the life and the body since it is these parts of nature that have to be developed as its instrument of self-expression. And it is long confined by the revolution. Initially it is identified with them. It even thinks that this is me. But slowly it starts exercising influence. It takes long because they hold the earth. They say, who are you? Little baby, teeny weeny. I am the psychic being. Hoga. We are your elder brothers. They say, okay. Rajkumar to main hu. You may be my managers. But I, I am the child of God. And when it grows... Then it says, okay. Then they recognize him. They say, okay, okay, tell me. What is to be done, sir? So, development of the psychic being is the key to everything else's development. So, what is its movement? It points always towards truth and right and beauty. Towards love and harmony. And all that is a divine possibility in us. And persists till these things become the major need of our nature. It is the psychic personality in us that flowers as the saint, the seed, the seer, when it reaches its full strength. It turns the being toward the knowledge of self and the divine, toward the supreme truth, the supreme good, the supreme beauty, love and bliss, the divine heights and largenesses, and opens us to the touch of spiritual sympathy, universality, oneness. On the contrary, where the psychic personality is weak, crude or ill-developed. Now, you know, you can easily know where one is. So, when it is weak, then what happens? Crude or ill-developed? The finer parts and movements in us are lacking or poor in character and power. Even though the mind may be forceful and brilliant, that's what Asura is. A rudimentary psychic but a brilliant mind. Mind may be brilliant but the psyche is not born. Very dangerous situation. So he says the mind may be brilliant, the heart of vital emotions hard and strong and masterful. Raja Bali and Vamana Avatar, this is the story. So Raja Bali is generous of heart to 
any extent. But Vamana has to come and tame and tell him, subordinate to this psychic impulse in you. So this is the story. It may be all this. Um, the life force dominant and successful. The bodily existence rich and fortunate and an apparent lord and victor. It is then the outer desired soul, the pseudo-psychic entity that reigns and we mistake its misinterpretations of psychic suggestion and aspiration, its idea and ideals, its desires and yearnings for true soul stuff and wealth of spiritual experience. So it can even be that the body is very strong, lives long, the life achieves, there is a lot of achievement, very successful life. And the mind also may be very brilliant, yet the psychic, if it is not developed, it is crude. One is not refined. One is not seeking for truth and beauty and good and light and harmony and right. And finally, with which we can stop that. Normally when this psychic life flowers, one would think, this is wonderful, that is the end of the journey. It creates the saint and a sage and a seer. But then what may happen to nature which is not prepared by it, with that we can stop. Even if there is an entire dissolution of the limited person and the old egocentric order, psychic entity can create that. But the outer nature may become the field of an apparent incoherence, although all within is luminous with the self. Thus we become outwardly inert and inactive like Jadbharat. Moved by circumstance or forces, but not self-mobile, even though the consciousness is enlightened within. Or as a child, though within is a plenary self-knowledge. The behavior may be like a child. Jadvat, Balvat. Though inside there is all the knowledge, if that comes out, it is amazing. Or as one inconsequent in thought and impulse, thought within is an utter calm and serenity. Outer thought may seem very incoherent, inconsequent. Like that, outer thought. But inside there is this luminous calm and self-control. This is called Unmatvat. Or is the wild and disordered soul, though out inwardly there is the purity and poise of the spirit. So there is the Pishachvat action. Or if there is an ordered dynamism in the outward nature, it may be a continuation of superficial ego action witnessed but not accepted by the inner being or a mental dynamism that cannot be perfectly expressive of the inner spiritual realization. For there is no equivalence between action of mind and status of spirit. Even at the best where there is an intuitive guidance of light from within, the nature of its expression in dynamism of action must be marked with the imperfections of mind, life and body. Shubhinda closes with this wonderful line, A king with incapable ministers. A knowledge expressed in the values of the ignorance. This is not enough for Shravindas Yoga. It may be enough for traditional yoga. The psychic entity enters, it loves God and is happy with the knowledge within. But outer nature may still remain a field of disorder. It is still not perfect. The king, the prince has realized I am the king. But the minister says, okay, fine. We will type out the letter, you just sign it. That's the situation in which the psychic development may enter. That is why in this yoga, 
there has to be a harmonious development of all the parts it's just not enough that one part develops and all others are stifled so with this we'll stop